Awesome. So we're going to be, um, as a church family, giving um, our momentum after this message. We've got the kids coming so that we can give as families. So that also gives me a timeline for how long I can speak for, which we all know it's not my favorite thing. Um, but really excited uh, about momentum, but also really excited about what God's put on my heart for this morning. So we're going to be continuing our series on preparing our home. And um, let's get back to the text that we have been looking at, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have inspired the word that we have these scriptures that teach us about your heart, about your kingdom, about your ways, about how we are to live and how we can access all that you have for us. And so God, I pray that this morning we continue with open hearts. Come speak to us. Let, these, let this message not just be a bunch of thoughts, but God, let it be something that helps us to know more about you and to lean further into life with you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, um, out of Beck and myself, I want to do a poll. Who do you think would be more sentimental? Who thinks Beck is going to be more sentimental? We got a few people. Who thinks Nate is more sentimental? Well, there's a few people. <laughs> All right. All right. I don't know. That was a bit more on you, hey. I th- as in, like, more people think you're sentimental. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Now, what do you think, Beck? <laughs> so, Beck loves watching TV shows that are about decluttering and arranging your home. There's this latest one called The Home Edit, right? And Beck watches it, sometimes literally, when she can't sleep at night, she watches The Home Edit. And it's about these two going around to people's houses and like sorting out their clutter and putting it into nice little boxes and putting it away, etc. She will do that at like 1 a.m. in the morning when she can't sleep. And it's ridiculous. I'm like, is it that boring that it helps you to go to sleep? And it's like, no, 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 she's just awake. She wants to do something fun, and she watches it. Now, I've got no problem with what Beck does with her sleep time. Actually, I do a little bit. But, you know, I kind of leave her to sort out what she's doing. My problem is that when she's inspired by such TV shows, and it flows over onto my life. So recently, as she was watching this, she decides that on her day off, on her personal big day, she decides that the most fun thing she could do for herself is to sort out our pantry. It's like, yeah, it was weird. Now, I tend to like to keep things the way it always has been, including, like, I've still got stuff that I used to wear in the army 16 years ago because it's kind of, like, sentimental for me. I don't know, I just like that stuff. Whereas back we were like, get rid of it, get rid of it. We'll never do it again. 
Yeah, she's not thrown away much of my stuff. And, um, and yeah, so she cleans out a pantry and, and she moves things around. And one of the things that she did was that the snack section used to be at eye level. It's like, it's, it's my section right there. At night when Sam goes to bed, oh, it's glorious. It's right there. It's available for all to see. But now that's on the shelf that is here. Just a little bit. So it, it feels like I am having to rob someone. Like You're kind of like reaching in and feeling out, is, is this the one that I want? I feel bad. And look, I know that this is good. But it doesn't feel very good, does it? You know, there are times in our life where we need to do a bit of a home edit of our hearts and of all the different things in our lives, and we have to move things around because there are things that are actually not very helpful, not very healthy, not very meant to be, if you will, but we still keep it right there. My hurts, my pains, you know? It's like, I, I, I'm not hurt. I just really dislike that person. It's like, no, no, no. It's still on that shelf. You still kept it there. You still like it there. And, 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 and moving it feels bad. It feels like, no, 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 no. I want it where I can see it rather than moving it into a place where I don't want it or I, don't, I know that it should be, you know, left in moderation. You know, that's, that's my thing. Bring me back my snacks. It's like, no, moderation. I'm like, no, moderation sucks. <laughs> but I know it's good. It just doesn't feel good. I believe that as I was reading this passage, you can, there's so much, I've loved that over the last three weeks already, there's so much that I have personally gotten out of studying this passage. Uh, but today I want to bring that perspective of like, let's read what the early church did because they did a bit of a home edit. They prepared their homes and they moved things around. And I hope that you'll be able to see how they prioritize and move certain things away, perhaps, and move certain things into the forefront of where it should be because that is important. That is central to their lives. And so let's dive into it. We're going to do a whole chunk of uh, scripture today. And um, there will be other points that can be made about these, but I want to just bring out the things that for me were really quite central in the study that I was doing this week. And um, so it's kind of interesting to me. Remember that Luke wrote the book of Luke as well as the book of Acts to help us have an orderly and accurate account of the early church. That was the whole point of it. Remember, orderly and accurate. Luke wasn't trying to make theological points by uh, uh, shifting things around and putting it in a way uh, that is like, oh, that's interesting that that event came after that event. No, no, no. Luke's point was trying to, if you will, uh, creating as best as possible a, a good, solid, orderly picture of what happened. And so when we come to Acts 2:42 to 47, he actually writes us a list of things that he did. Uh, oh, sorry, that the early church did. It is a list. We can see it. And every point of the list starts with the word and. That's how the Greek language used to work. They did not have dot points. They did not have punctuation. And so they use certain words to clarify, hey, this is what is happening here. And the word and. So we see, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And here we go. There's a whole bunch of stuff as well. It says, and or came upon every soul. 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If our tech worked today, you would have seen me put a bit of a list there. These are the things that happened in, um, in the early church. Luke wanted to give us a list of what was taking place. And over the last three weeks, we spoke about the devotion to the teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Like, can I just say, those are important messages for us as a church. I think that that is us trying to form and articulate where we think God is taking us. So if you haven't heard those messages, you're a part of live. Go back and listen to those messages. It will help you to capture where we are going as a church. And I forgot to mention uh, that in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be doing, Beck and myself, we'll be doing a question and response conversation time about the church uh, that's based on these messages but also for us to tease out what we think God is wanting our church to look like. So you know, um, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but you can text through to our church phone if you've got any questions about the church. How the church should look like, why the church does this, why the church doesn't do that. And we will have a conversation about that in a couple of weeks' time. But back to the message today. So what we see in the first and after the devotion to the teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, it says, and the awe, and awe came upon every soul. And awe came upon every soul. This is what happened next. They devoted themselves to seeking after God as a community. And when they did that, what's the next thing that happened? And awe came upon every soul. Now, the word came upon is important for us because the word came upon means that this literally was something that was external to them and came onto them. It happened onto them. Awe happened to them. It doesn't say, and they stirred up a passion for the Lord. It doesn't say, and they had something that was inside, internal, uh, an emotional response, even though it was an emotional thing that they were also part, it was partly emotional, that they were experiencing it. But God actually plays the awe on them. And that's something that I was thinking about very much. The rest of this message, remember that after the devotion to God, God places an awe upon them. What would our church look like? What would my life look like if I was pursuing that kind of awe? Not a stirred up emotional, personal awe, but a, an awe that was like, God, I need you. I am open to you. I am pursuing you. And suddenly it goes, oh, wow. But I want to point something else out in this list. It says, and all came upon every soul, the next and, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. I found that very interesting. Because I think that Luke is not trying to make theological points, but he was trying to create an orderly account of what was going on. But yet, in my reading, and I've read this passage so many times, so many times, and when I read this, I read it the other way around. And many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, and awe came upon every soul. That's how I would normally read this. Luke doesn't put it that way. He flips it. 
all before signs and wonders. Now, do I believe in signs and wonders? Yes. Do I believe that God moves mightily? Yes. Does our church believe and desire greater signs and wonders? 100%. Our prayer team every single week prays. Over the last two months we've been praying, and I think every single week there are hits. These words of knowledge, prophetic words about what God wants to heal, what God wants to touch. People are coming and they go, hey, that's me. Why does it happen? And these are random things. The one that I like a lot of this is the one about the toe. You have, a, you have a painful toe and God wants to heal that. Why? Because God can and God will. God is doing things as we lean into it. We want to see even more. I believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, right? But I think that we've got a problem when we think that when we experience these things, that's what is going to stir me up. It's not the way. In fact, I put forward to you that maybe we need to uh, uh, seek after an awe of the Lord and then signs and wonders begin to break out and flow in our lives. And there's a really important reason why. Last year, I started to read a lot more about our uh, uh, starting up as a Pentecostal movement across the world. The Pentecostal movement is now one of the largest, and many people attribute its start to a thing, an event called the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival uh, was in America, and it was in a, uh, a, a poor community. And uh, uh, this pastor named William Seymour, he uh, managed to purchase lease a, a warehouse, and they started their church in it. It was called the Azusa Street Church, I think, or something like that. And literally every single day, they would hold meetings. And as they hold meetings every single day, without fail, there would be miracles, signs, and wonders. There were many people that would record that as they walked to the Azusa Street Church, they would literally see a beam of light from heaven on the church. As they walked into the church, there would be this heaviness in a, in a, in a fog, sometimes so much so that they couldn't even see that far in front of them. And that fog often would contain gold dust. Some of us Pentecostals, we call it a Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory. We can't just say, oh man, that was some awesome stuff. No, the Shekinah glory is the manifest glory of the Lord that was made present in our midst. These, these are like so many people made accounts of these. These, these are not fake accounts. And, and, and people would come knowing that they needed healing and they would receive healing. They were crazy stuff. William Seymour himself would often pray for people, but he started up a whole bunch of young people um, uh, on, on this journey of praying for people. And he would often just let them uh, welcome people into the church and just pray for them. And so I read about what these young people did. And let me tell you, it's weird. There's one particular girl, and her favorite kind of per, uh, uh, person to pray for was someone who had dental issues. Why? And she literally would put her finger into the person's mouth where there was a decayed or missing tooth so that she can feel the tooth growing in that spot. Oh yeah, here's coming, it's coming. Why? Because, because God does amazing stuff. There was another girl and she was a younger girl. I don't know how old she was at that time, maybe about 18. So she was young and she actually was one of the first to be trained up and she would 
zero in on those coming in in wheelchairs. And she would lift their feet up, lift off the flaps, put the feet down. Why? Because she would always expect, have faith that this person was going to walk. And she would always be praying for them, always holding them up, and most of them got healed. She would see legs, literally different legs, straighten. Legs that were with it because of injury or disease, they would grow muscle back. Crazy stuff. There was another one who prayed for people with missing eyes and placed their hand on the socket and feel the eye pop back up. Why? Because God does signs and wonders that are miraculous, that are beyond our comprehension. Now, if God wanted that to be the way that the world was saved, then why did the Azusa Street revival stop? In fact, every recorded revival of their, uh, there are quite a number, every revival has a, around a maximum lifespan of about seven years. A historian actually studied these revivals and went, oh, most of the, like, would it be amazing if those signs just kept going? We won that. We Pentecostals are like, more signs, more wonders. We want more, we want more, we want more. But God has a different plan. And this historian wrote that he doesn't know why these revivals stop or why they have a certain lifespan. But his take is that after a while, the signs and the wonders become more wondrous than God himself. It becomes, the sideshow becomes the main show. And God gets lost in the middle of all that's going on. We can get so used to the wondrous working of God that we forget that God is behind it. It doesn't mean that if you see signs and wonders, you'll be filled with awe. And it doesn't mean that when you're filled with an emotional awe that it actually means anything. What I mean by that, I was thinking about, I love magic shows. Good magic shows. I love Penn and Teller. I watched a lot of their shows uh, a while ago when it was on Netflix. And I love, and when they do those things, right, they do the magic trick, I am filled with awe. I'm like, how the heck did that happen? You literally fired a gun at someone and they didn't die. Literally crazy stuff. I mean, not, I'm not talking about the cheapy woman sword and half stuff. I'm talking about the real amazing uh, 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 magician, like high level quality magic stuff. And I'm filled with awe, but I'm never filled with a desire to meet the magician. I'm never filled with a desire to go, hey, 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 these guys have got something so amazing that I need to go find out more about it. I don't necessarily feel like I need to peek behind the curtains. I don't necessarily feel like I need to understand how it all happened. I am just enjoying the show. And I think what characterized the early church is that they weren't there for a show. They were there because they knew that there was something so important that they needed to be there. And as they devoted themselves to being a part of this community, there was this supernatural God-given awe that came upon them. Now, the word awe in Greek is the word phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S, which sounds a lot like the word phobia, right? Because it's also the same word for fear. And fear, you will see in some translations, and the fear of the Lord fell upon them. Why is it that we need the fear of God. 
Honestly, I think it's something that I do sometimes struggle with, but I think the main thing is that we need to make sure that we don't treat God as genie, like miracle dispenser God. It's not because He's been giving me all of these miracles and that's why I continue to follow Him. It's because He is God and that's why I'm following Him. Because He's Almighty and that's why I'm following Him. It's because He is the creator of heavens and earth and that's why I follow Him. And amazingly, this God who created the heavens and the earth also happened to send Himself as a man and died on the cross for my sins so that I can be in relationship with Him. Why do I need a, dispense, a, a miracle dispensing God when God has already dispensed so much of His love? So I think that we as a church, we need to ensure as we do a heart check, a home edit, Am I chasing after God because of what He will give me? Or am I chasing after God because of what He has already given me? Because the things that He will give me, that's in His plans, and I can trust that it's always going to be good. But how do I know it's good? It's because He's already demonstrated the goodness. So I don't need to be filled with the fear of God only after I see what He's doing because I've already seen and I've already understood this. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, but the foolish despise wisdom. The foolish will not want the fear of God. And recently I've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia, and I've been really enjoying it. And I love how C.S. Lewis tries to characterize the lion Aslan in the same way as God might be. And are these passages, like, go read, if you struggle to know how to relate to God with fear, just try reading some of these things because it makes a lot of sense. See, one of the things that strikes me the way that Lewis writes about Aslan is that those who have their hearts bent on evil, the only fear they have of Aslan is pure terror. They will be chased away by this terror. They will run away from Aslan. They will not want to come anywhere close to Aslan. But those that are pure of heart, they would be filled with this fear because this is still a wild, untamable, powerful beast. But yet there was something in them that says, I need to see more. When we are filled with the fear of God, yes, there are parts of us that go, I need to cower away and hide because of how crazily amazing and terrible God's presence can be. But at the same time, the more I start to understand who He is, the more I realize that as powerful as it is, He's still drawing me close. I pray that we would have a fresh sense of God's fear falling upon this church. I want the signs and the wonders, but if the signs and the wonders will come at the cost of His fear, I don't want it. I want to fear the Lord. And through that, when God knows that I am a steward of who He is and what He wants to do, let the signs and wonders flow. Uh, I've got to keep going. But let that be one of those things. Like, come on, let's check that. What are we pursuing? What is my perspective of who God is? Is He just giving me what I want, what I think I need, or is He giving me more of Himself? I want more of God. I came this morning with a sense of like, as I was checking myself, I love doing these messages because... Quite often is, is personal devotion, is personal checks. And I'm like, I don't know how I've gone with being filled with God's f fear or awe. 
And as we sang the songs this morning, there was something in me that's like, no, 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 I need to come back. I need to come back to that place of, of just like, God, I, I need to worship you. Not I want to worship you. Stop it. Stop it. God doesn't need you to worship him. God doesn't need you to want to worship him. God is not, what we say, we, we listened to this thing last night. God is not an insecure boyfriend <laughs> who is trying to like win your affections. God's already loved you deeply, eternally, gloriously, graciously. So whether you know that he's the best boyfriend we could ever have or not, a greatest husband. Our greatest Lord and the greatest Savior. When we worship, stop considering what you feel and start placing your eyes on Him. All right, let's keep going. The, the next couple of ands that we're going to look at as a package, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, I love that as I looked into this, in the Greek in particular, it, when it says, and they had all things in common, the Greek word for common is koinos. Now, if you remember, I don't know if we mentioned this, but it says that they were devoted to the teaching and the fellowship. The word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia, that's fellowship, that is that togetherness, right? And so there's this togetherness. How did they devote themselves to this togetherness? Is by having everything in koinos. You cannot have koinonia without having all things in koinos. Let me put it to you this way, having all things in common. If the boundary of my life is this circle and Beck has nothing in common with me, do we have fellowship? We are separate. It's, it's as we bring our separate lives together and there is more and more in common, then we have fellowship. The more koinos I have with someone, the more koinonia I have with a person. You don't get friendship because you feel like you have a friendship. In fact, I was reading uh, this blog the other day by a psychologist that said that people that say, uh, when they first meet someone, oh, it's like I've met my soulmate, I'm so glad, that person's danger. When a person comes into your life and tells you on the first meeting, oh, we have everything in common. It's like, no, they don't know you. They're a leech and they're probably going to suck you dry because they're telling you, you need to look like me. Building koinonia takes time because we are working out what we have in koinos. It takes time because we are going, I'm now willing to actually actually properly share this with you. See, the other thing about the word koinos is that it literally means just usual. It, it means kind of like worthless. It's like a tic-tac. It, it's common. There are so many blooming tic-tacs in this box. Are any of them that important? No, they are koinos. But if I take this in my life, and I say, no, 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 this is really important to me, I'm not going to share this with you, then we can't have fellowship, right? 
So what I'm actually doing by having koinonia with someone is actually going, I use the holders as maybe super valuable to me, but in order to have fellowship, I'm going to put this in the common ground. Koinonia demands that we don't hold many things as precious, but that we hold things in common. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have boundaries. I'm not saying that we can't, like, I don't want you literally saying, Nate, your bedroom is now my bedroom. Get out. You weirdo, you freak. I don't want you anywhere near to me. What I'm saying is that there is an adjustment. If I want koinonia, I need to work out what I've been holding back as precious and learning to make it common so that I can have common ground with someone else in order to have fellowship. See, this early church, they had something radical going on. The next end says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What they were trying to do is to level the ground so that we can have more things in common so we can have the fellowship. Now, this, there is a boundary in there already. They weren't just selling their stuff and giving to others willy-nilly. I would really like your farm. <laughs> no, show me your need. <laughs> if you show me your need, I show you what I can help you with. There was a boundary in how they did it, but they were on the lookout for needs. They were on the lookout to see how they could build commonality with one another. Am I doing that or am I trying to see someone that is worth my treasures? Or am I going, no, 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 hang on. How are my treasures going to serve you? If I hold my treasures as so important that I do not make them in common, you are holding yourself back from the koinonia. You are holding yourself back from the fellowship. This might be finances, it might be time, it might be your skills, it might be your encouragement, it might be your care, it might be your love, it might be so many things. It might be the gifts that God has given to you. It's like, no, no, it's too precious to me. Stop it. God gave everything, and we've got to learn how to do the same. Now, I was thinking about who would be those that had need in this early community, and this comes back to the question that we've been uh, looking at every single week. It's like, who are they? Who is this early church? Well, remember, it was a whole bunch of people, Jewish people, that came from different places, different towns, different cities, even different nations to come and celebrate the festival of Pentecost. And so when they came and they heard Peter preach on the day of Pentecost and they were added to the church, for some of them to stay... It meant leaving their businesses and their homes behind for at least a period of time. It meant that they needed to go, for me to be literally devoted to the teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, it means that I can't go back yet. I need to be here. But being here means that I've got no income, possibly no shelter, possibly no food, and possibly nothing except what I came with. And so I started to wonder, hang on, this is kind of interesting. This is not talking about necessarily just those who were literally beggars, widows, oppressed people in the community. 
they, that the church reached out to those. We see that in the book of Acts. But I wonder if some of those who had need were people who were searching for God and needed someone to be able to sustain their staying. You see, I think that when the awe of God hits you, there are two different sacrifices that I can see in this passage. One of those sacrifices is the sacrifice of staying. See, staying in God's community and God's presence is going to cost you. It's going to reorientate your life. Sometimes it means that you should leave your businesses and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not telling you to do it. Don't say, Nate told me to quit. You talk to God. But in this context, some of them left their livelihood behind in order to follow God. Sometimes staying is tough. Sometimes staying requires the cost of vulnerability. Like what Pastor Beck spoke about last week. It's going to cost you to be vulnerable. I know people who have left this church because we demand vulnerability. Sometimes it's going to cost you time and energy because if you're part of this family, we're going to ask that you learn how to serve according to what you have. Sometimes it's going to cost you your care and your love for others because we're going to ask you to care for someone else because you're now part of the family of God. Sometimes we're going to ask you to give sacrificial, well, 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 consistently because you say God is number one in my life. Staying in God's community is not something that is natural in our culture, but is necessary for us to grow. And when the fear of God hits, it's like, I can't go anywhere else. I can't go home. I can't go back to that kind of way of living. I need this. And so, yeah, let me tell you, your staying is courageous. Your staying could be extremely sacrificial. Don't think just about what you can give and contribute. Think about what you've given up in order to be here. And I applaud you for it. Sometimes I hear the stories of what people have done in order to be in the community of God, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And then when the fear of God hits, I think that there's another thing that happens. Those that have access, those who have accumulated much, suddenly realize that they should be giving. Those who have, especially those who are in this context, in this story, those who are in Jerusalem, not leaving their businesses, not leaving whatever behind, they were already there. They were the ones who probably firstly had to give because they've already encountered God and they've already set up their lives. Well, they were there. There was no migration required to be in the house of God. They were there. So what their job was when the fear of God hit was to, well, I want those people to stay. So let's think about that. Is there reorientation that's needed? Do I need to reorient my life, do a home edit of my heart and work out whether I need to stay and or whether I need to give? According to where you're at, God will speak to you, I believe. When the fear of God hits it, 
something shifts and I need to remember, I need to come back to that place of God, what is it that you are saying to me about this season of life? The final point that I want to make is very much um, together with that. And it's the final end that we're going to look at today. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. I think that Luke was kind of somewhat summarizing all that we've been speaking about already. He talks about the fellowship, meeting in the temple, worshiping, breaking bread, uh, uh, and having meals together. I think this was a bit of a recap, right? But there was something in there that just stood out to me in the way that Luke described what was taking place. It says that they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. I don't know what a generous heart is meant to look like. With glad, I receive, I receive food with a glad and generous heart. I receive with a generous heart. I'm like, uh, is that the right word, guys? Like, what's going on? So I looked into the Greek, and uh, in the Greek, the, the word here is ephelotes. Not that you're supposed to know what that means, but I didn't know what it means either. In fact, this word appears once in the whole entire Bible. Even in the Old Testament translated into the Greek, the word ephelotes does not appear. This is the one and only occasion that this word is used. And it is a compound word that Luke uh, uh, used. I don't know whether it was used in society or whatever, but it was an interesting word that he chose. And it's a difficult word to translate. And that's why in the ESV it says, with generous hearts. In the KJV it says, with simplicity of heart. They're like, is it a simple or a generous heart? What is going on, guys? We don't really know. Because this is what it literally means. Without having rocks rub against your feet. That's what Ephelotes means. Without rocks rubbing against your feet. So these people were receiving food with glad, and without rocks that rub against their feet, hearts. And I was like, oh, Lord. These are weird people. What the heck is going on? But this is what I started to think about. Why is that so important? In Luke's summary of what the early church did, why is this the kind of heart that he wanted them, or that he wanted to describe for us to be able to read, right? What happens when you have a rock in your shoe and you try to go on a long trek? You can't. You just can't. You can't go on long treks with rocks in your shoes. You can't go on a journey of any length with rocks in your shoes. In fact, if they are particularly sharp rocks, you might take one step before it's going to really hurt you, right? So I think this is what's going on. Why ESV translators chose the word generous is because these guys were reaching into their shoes and taking their rocks and giving it to other people. What did we just read? Previous and, and they sold their excess and gave it to those in need. That's how they were building what the ESV is calling generous hearts. That's how they were building what the KJV was calling simplicity of hearts. They made sure that their hearts did not need all of these rocks. You see, this is what God put on my heart. Sometimes the thing that is going to hinder my walk is going to help someone else on their journey. Sometimes the thing that is stopping me from continuing on my journey with God is the very same thing that is going to pay, make a pavement, make a pathway for people to continue following Christ. 
You see, the generosity of the people was that they were taking their finances that was actually stopping them from following God and saying, you need this more than I do. This reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And he said, Master or good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? He saw that Jesus was who had life. I need to come and I need to get this life, right? I need this. I need what you have, Jesus. So what must I do? Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come follow me. That rich young ruler could have been disciple number 13. I wish I had that opportunity where Jesus would stand in front of me and say, follow me for the next three years. I'll be like, I'll give you anything. But what did that guy do? He had rocks rubbing against his feet that he did not want to give up. He walked away sad. And Jesus had great compassion on him. Because that guy did not find life. See, when we come to God and there's a fear of God that falls upon us, there are things that we thought were precious, but God's going to show to us that they are simply rocks that rub against your feet. There are things that we hold as valuable treasures that we do not want to let go of, and God's going to come to that and say, me or that, me or that. But the beauty of giving it up to Jesus is that it paves the way for someone else to come to him. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Those that needed to stay needed someone to give up their rocks. So we either get into the business of hoarding rocks and finding that moth and rust destroy, or we get into the business of paving roads that allow people to meet with Christ. So what we're doing today, and I struggle with this because I don't want this to seem manipulative. I don't want this to be an emotional thing. But as we collect the momentum offering this morning, it is not about me trying to squeeze every dollar out of your your stony heart. (laughs) Give up those rocks. Give it up. (laughs) No, but this is about me saying I was moved. There was a revelation and there was a fear that came upon me, God, show me the rocks. Show me those rocks. I want to get rid of them. This is a home edit of my heart. Get rid of those snacks. They're only going to make you fat. (laughs) I want them snacks. I want that chocolate. I need that chocolate. I need, give it up. Someone else needs it more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) Say, as they devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, as the awe of God fell upon them and the signs and wonders broke out and they had all things in common and they were selling the excess that they were blessed with and using it to bless others. They gathered daily. They continued to grow. And they had hearts that could truly be glad and be without rocks. Sometimes I wonder if the concerns that we have is because we've got accumulation of rocks. 
that don't make your journey any better. Lay it down. We're going to ask the kids to come in. You can gather in your families. And if we can get the band up. Before we actually give this morning, can I ask that we just pray? Whatever you've already decided in your heart to give, great. Even if it's nothing, that's not my point. But you talk to God, you have this moment. And let this be a deliberate moment of saying, God, I want this to bless someone else and their journey. I want this to be a blessing to someone else. I want this to mean something to someone else. I don't want this just I don't want this to be a transaction. This is not about us putting an envelope in there and hoping that we get a packet back by the time we get home. This is not about us saying I'm giving to you so you get my troubles and you take them away. But this is about me saying, God, I'm clearing room in my life for you. I'm clearing room in my heart so that you can fill it with what you want to fill it with. So if I can just ask everyone, let's just pray together. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.